0: Looking for the latest perspectives to help simplify changing market conditions? Go to Nationwide, one of America's largest financial services companies. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, FINRA member, Columbus, Ohio.
2: Leon joins us right now with decades of experience and he can take us back to the 10 to one reverse stock split of Citigroup 14 years ago to Ken 15 years ago can Citigroup and Ms. Fraser with all of her wonderful abilities can she
3: strategically and tactically compete with these other banks well, well Tom it's it's hard work for Jane Fraser because we're in the second phase of turnaround which is execution, and and who do they want to be? They've already announced and are disposing non-U.S. consumer banks. And the question is, is do they have meaningful scale outside the U.S. to compete? Uh, This is a challenge, and I think investors are tired of looking at a stock that's trading at 50% to net present value or to book value. And and what that means is, is that we're gonna have to see concrete signs of improvement. Uh, it's it's really tough. She has a change of leadership in the wealth management area, uh, and that gets to Shanali's point about competing with UBS and Credit Suisse.
4: Again, given the year ahead, is international a positive or a negative in 23?
3: John, I think it's it's actually moving to a surprise of the positive, the reopening of China, uh, potentially uh, Europe not getting crushed from natural gas prices. All of a sudden, uh, and for you, large U.S. banks, The the other three large ones, it's about, you know, 15, 20 percent of their total revenue. But for investment banking, uh, that could be interesting as we go into uh, 2023, a little bit further down the road for Goldman and Morgan Stanley. This is the heart of their business is really international and having this uh, streamlined network for corporate treasuries. But it's not there yet. They have to invest in their technology
4: platform. Stocks down this morning by 2.4%. We can go through some of the banks in the pre-market just briefly. Got City softer. Bank of America down by 2.5%. Got Wells Fargo down by 4%. JP Morgan down by about 2.8% or so. So negative across the board here. Looking at the financials. The broader equity market down 1%. Just want to finish on this, Ken. Just on the international outlook. This is from Neil Dutter of RenMac. Tom and I were discussing it just moments ago. Europe is warming up likely avoiding a technical recession. China is reopening. The Fed is stepping down from an aggressive rate hike pace and fiscal policy is no longer a drag. The Fed expects real GDP in 23 to slow down to 0.5%, Q4 on Q4. He says this, Ken, good luck with that one. Ken, do you agree with
3: that? I think if you have an environment of not too hot and not too cold, it's a great environment for financial sector, particularly banks, uh, where the expectations are not as high as perhaps other areas that have benefited with a strong bull pace scenario. Banks actually are in a pretty good position for performance for 2023 as we see it. And we just want to see it one bank at a time have a more constructive view as we get through the earnings calls.
4: Hey Ken, thanks for being with us this morning for the last couple of hours. We really appreciate it. Ken Leon there of CFRA.
2: This is a really, really important conversation. We don't do this enough. This is sort of what afternoon TV and radio do. It's not the province of the morning. But we're going to do it because this weekend, across this nation, a huge body of the nation is going to reallocate. Their retirement plan disaster. Lindsay Rosner is a student of this, a CFA, a small college in New Jersey. She darkened the door on uh, years ago. And Lindsay, I'm going to cut to the chase. PGM, Greg Peters, and everybody else in the industry is picking up the pieces from a complete disaster of 60 40 allocation, 60 30 10. And what PGM does, and I don't mean to pick on PGM, but core this, core that, core the other thing as well. How do you reallocate after the debacle of 2022?
5: Right. Well, um, I think you're right. It was a debacle in 2022. Nobody can deny that. But I think what we've got now, we know what this painful journey led us to, is an unbelievable opportunity in the fixed income market. You actually have an opportunity to do the right thing and the safer thing. We've been in a world for so long where the requirement to get any kind of return was to go out the risk spectrum. You don't actually need to do that now. You can get six, 7% yields in high quality assets. So I think the allocation, and I'm biased as a fixed income manager,
2: is I mean, I think, Lindsay, what's so important here, and of course, you on the high ground of this, uh, let's call it CFA level three territory, folks, where your eyes glaze over. But the bottom line is, do our listeners and viewers want to manage more towards an index fund with an R squared of 0.9 or even higher? Or do they want to get a little more supple and flexible this year? Not like something like Kathy Wood's Ark, the train wreck that is, but do you want to be a little more active this year? this year or indexy?
5: You wanna be active. I think we say we love bonds, but we don't love all bonds and neither should you. This is a year of security selection, especially as we face a recession. There will be winners and there will be losers and you need an active manager to sort that out for you.
4: Well, let's talk about that that right now, Lindsay. Let's have that discussion. What are you looking for? What's on the list?
5: So things that we really like are high quality structured product, Great credit enhancement there that even if you have problems in, for example, some of the underlying loans in a CLO, you're protected. Um, also select names in in corporate world, investment grade and high yield. There's a lot of opportunity to be had, a lot of yield, but you need the resources to analyze the balance sheets.
4: Let's go through high yield then. So I'll bring up high yield spreads more broadly. And you can go a little deeper and tell me what sectors, maybe even what names you're looking at. High yield spreads have come down to about 420. Lindsay, this is not for your benefits, for the benefit of our audience that might not follow this asset class. But the wides a year ago, the wides back in the summer were 583. So we've tightened a tremendous amount at a time when people are trying to figure out if we're going into recession or not. So what do you like in that lower quality cohort of US corporations?
5: Yeah, it is. It is really name specific. And um, for example, there are some in the higher quality. I know you're asking lower quality, higher (coughs) quality fallen angels that we think become those rising stars. But then it is is names Um, specific home builders. We really like, which kind of sounds crazy with mortgage rates where they are, but it's about picking those out. And I think the key thing is, is that the default projections are extremely low. The recoveries are higher, uh, probably going to be higher than they were historically. These are all good things for high yield writ large, but you got to get those names right at these tight spreads, to your point.
2: Yeah, Greg emails in from New Jersey and says, (laughs) Greg wants to know, Lindsay, are we clipping coupons or are we going for total return this year? Help Greg out.
5: Uh, I try to. That's part of my job. (laughs) Um, You know, we we can clip coupons. We've got a ton of spread if we just stay static. Um, but you're, you're in a case where we are a total return okay. manager. You know, so I we're see. going to keep looking for opportunities. Is that helpful to Greg?
2: Yeah, that's very good. You nailed it. Okay, let's keep this going. <laughs> well, folks, you don't see this on radio, but behind Lindsay's all of the Nassim Taleb she's, re- she's read over the years. I'm sorry the world's changed. You know that. All of a sudden the Sharpe ratio matters as well. Our viewers and listeners have to deal with a new cost of money. I get it that bonds are the place to be, but what's the recovery line back to 2020 or 2019? Do you and PGM have a three-year vision to get back, or is it a five-year vision to get back?
5: Yeah, it's it's longer term, right? We're longer term investors. That's what we do. Um, I think a lot of people are quibbling right now is is GDP, for example, in the US next year, 0.3 is it 0.6%, is it 0.5. And they're going to change it potentially even on the print we had yesterday. Let's pull the camera back and think long term, and buy the right companies, the right collateral that's going to do well, and pick the spots that are going to have the right kind of recovery.
4: Can we talk about Allocation to bonds from a cross-asset portfolio construction perspective, Lindsay. People may be looking to allocate to bonds back into that traditional 60-40 this year. And I think we're still trying to figure out what snaps that positive correlation between risk equities and between traditional fixed income, say, sovereigns. Do you think that breaks this year? And Lindsay, why do you think it does break? What leads to that?
5: Yeah, I think it goes right back to what just what Tom just said, which is we had two black swans. We just had COVID and we have a land war in Europe. So those are things that when you're looking at a theoretical model, black swans aren't part of it. And we had a very much black swan style year. Um, while we we certainly want to think about the risks or the unknown unknowns, <clears throat> but I think we're going to enter a more normal time. And that's important. And that's where those correlations you've historically studied come back into play.
4: The challenge to that view, if I can provide it, and I'd love your comment on it, the same reasons that we're seeing Equities and emerging markets rip. Copper rallying aggressively. European banks up a lot. The same reasons I think you could make the argument that yields should be higher, that we're seeing a more resilient economy than expected, that these central banks will have to go further, the ECB being one of them. We will get that growth impulse off the back of China reopening. Lindsay, why doesn't that result in better risk profiles, equities up, credit spreads tighter, but also treasuries going lower and yields still going higher from here through this year?
5: Yeah, I think you're you're bringing up the, um, the risk case that is not priced in. So what I think is pretty incredible, if you just look at what's implied in the forwards for February, the forwards are saying the Fed's gonna hike 27 basis points. And, and this is the way I'm, I'm answering your question. I can already answer it another way as well. But 27 basis points is saying that everybody knows what the Fed's going to do. And they know what it's gonna do going forward. And despite what it's telling you, they're gonna pause, they're gonna cut. Why are we so confident now? Everybody was wrong last year. And so I think your point of that risk of inflation actually being more persistent, the economy being more robust, China fueling the economy, which is inflationary, that is a concern. We can't deny it. Fed can't be on autopilot cruise control. And by the way, neither can investors.
4: Lindsay, this was great. Just fantastic.
0: Seeking timely market and economic updates to help guide client conversations? look to Nationwide. Nationwide makes simplicity a priority for financial professionals by offering easy access to timely perspectives on changing market conditions, so more time can be focused on helping clients keep their financial plans on track. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, Finremember, Columbus, Ohio.
2: Right now, important to speak to Mr. Rochester of Nomura here about what will be the study over the weekend. He has to be delicate. He is with Nomura, a Japanese bank. Jordan, it is just flat out there, suddenly, the death of yield curve control. Explain the ramifications for global Wall Street ex Japan. If, if Japan gives way, if the Bank of Japan has to somehow normalize rates, what's it mean for the rest of us?
6: It means a lot, Tom. Uh, If you think about what Japan's done, they've had quantitative easing for over a long period of time, much more than what we've had in Europe and in the US. So first of all, those carry trades that built up over the better part of a decade or longer could be unwound and it could lead to fixed income markets having a, a tightening in terms of credit conditions. And therefore, it's not clear how risk sentiment would do well if they were to suddenly abandon yield curve control. Number one, how does the local market handle it? How much do JGBs sell off? Right. Is fair value around 85 basis points? That's a significant daily sell off. But you know what markets are like in these sort of shock scenarios? You can get a sort of nonlinear market reaction. Then it feeds through to U.S. treasuries. One of the largest buyers, one of the largest holders of U.S. treasuries outside of America is Japan. So how well do treasuries handle uh, the Japanese having tighter conditions, <coughs> higher right. yields in Japan, making U.S. fixed income less attractive? The, the, the sort of answer is it would lead to quite big sell-offs, I think.
2: Because the sell-offs here speak volatility. Ben Emmons over at Newbridge talks today about China exporting disinflation when you work through the dynamics. If we work through the dynamics of the end of the Kuroda experiment, does a much larger, healthier Japan export disinflation or the opposite?
6: Well, the world's very much globalized, let's walk through the sort of path of how that could play out. What we're seeing is the first chance in a long time for Japan to have animal spirits and to escape the trap of deflation we're seeing huge pay rises from certain retailers the big headline for me this week was uniqlo the 40% pay rise the first time they've raised pay in 20 years 40 That's a massive number across the board. We're seeing other companies doing big numbers, but much less extreme, like 6% or so. The shunto, it's called, the wage negotiations, they all come up to us around March time. Do we get big pay pay rises overall for the whole of Japan? Then we could see inflation become a bit more of a, a topic that Japan's not had for a long time. What does that mean for the rest of the world? It means that we have one of the last few central banks doing quantitative easing coming to an end if that was to happen. Well, Jordan, and it's not our base case, but it's something to watch out for and a big risk for this year.
4: You've said it. They see it as a once in a generation opportunity to reset inflation higher. We see it as potentially a policy mistake on the horizon. And Jordan, they've got to figure out what kind of policy setting is sustainable. Now, I thought that was the effort just a month ago. And now there's a conversation about maybe renewing that effort in a week's time. Jordan, what is it?
6: Well, the base case from us is that we shouldn't get much of a change next week because of these risks we've talked about. But there's a a trade-off for the central bank, which is, are the benefits of yield curve control, which are leading to Japan having to do massive amounts of quantitative easing to defend that target— are they working against uh, the, the potential positives from it? So, are they are those positives becoming negatives? So, let's just bear in mind, Japan is experiencing inflation. It's nothing like Europe or the US. So, it's still quite low compared to our standards, but it is high for Japan standards, and we're having wage gains. So is the yield curve control, which is forcing them to do quantitative easing, working against the idea of inflation going up, and therefore, maybe they should tighten. That's the problem of the policy. That's the bind they're in. It's just how quickly do they exit it is the problem for markets. There's some speculation it could happen as early as next week, hence we're getting these big Dolly M moves. For us, it's a little bit too soon. We've got a new governor coming up. Uh, The new governor will start probably from April onwards. But it is, it is though, the risk for next week. Another surprise from the Bank of Japan. And that's why, for us, it's just easier to have a short dollar yen trade on rather than talking anything specific about on about on this date. This will happen.
4: Well, it's a break of 130 right now. We've gone from 150 to a break of 130, 129, 128. That's dollar yen. Cable's gone from 103.50 at the lows at the end of September all the way back through 120. Euro dollar's gone from what, 95? Through 108, you're looking for 110, 116. Jordan, can we just sit on this just for a moment? What did the FX community get so wrong at the end of September? I remember the conversations we would have. We were talking about parity, perhaps, on cable. We got close. Euro dollar getting used to life below parity. Look at us now. What changed, Jordan?
6: I don't miss last year at all, John. It was doom and gloom. And I really didn't enjoy being right. So we got the euro dollar view right, got the cable right, we had a, a really good year in terms of p and l on our trades it gloom it was recession it was european energy prices spiking to unbelievable heights the trade balance of the euro area collapsing for the first time in a generation to levels that were wider than the us in terms of gdp what's changed john is we've had a few factors work in the euro area's favor number one we've had energy prices collapse that has been a massive tailwind for industry. It's allowed all those steel, chemical, manufacturing plants to turn back on production. It's why we're seeing European data start to improve. Number two is thank you, Mr. U.S. U.S. inflation's now, now decelerating. We could have goods deflation this year. That is a very different story to last year when U.S. inflation was accelerating and the story is about how much hikes will the Fed do. Now it's about when will the Fed stop and when will they start to cut we think from September this year. So I think a lot's changed on the ground in terms of facts. And then the third factor is China reopening. That's the new one. Um, China reopening is a bigger deal for Europe than it is the US. US exports to China is less than 1% of GDP, 0.67% to be exact. For the German economy, it's more than three times more important. It's around 2.67% of German GDP, just exports to China. Your biggest trading partner reopening its doors Opening up its tourism flows makes Europe so much more attractive now with those energy story and that inflation story in the U.S. too.
4: Hey, Jordan, thank you. Jordan, Jordan Rochester clinic, thank you. Of just
2: superb.
4: Joining us now is Katrina Dudley, Portfolio Manager and Research Analyst of Franklin Mutual Services. Can we get straight to you, Katrina, on just what you expect from the bank earnings a little bit later this morning?
0: Look, I think what we're looking for the bank earnings is really that arbiter of whether or not we're going into a recession because I think they're going to be the first line of defense here and the first people to see it. So we're looking closely at JP Morgan when it comes out and to see what Jamie has to say about where we are in the economic cycle.
2: Yeah, I look, Katrina, at the economic cycle, and I would suggest in nine days it's changed. And for a portfolio manager, with all the sell-side advice you've got, your internal wonderful advisors at Franklin Mutual, have you, you know, not radically adjusted, but have you, is there a change agent within a given portfolio because we've gone from December 20th to what we hope will be January 20th?
0: We're a value manager, so we do not make those very, very significant shifts um, in, you're not in the portfolio. Shifting, Katrina,
2: you're not shifting on the inflation dynamic now as a value manager. No, in terms of the inflation,
0: we continue to see the Fed working and bringing it down. The question is, and that's the question we've been talking about all over 2022, is whether or not the Fed engineers too much of a recession or whether or not they walk that tight lo- rope of slowing down the economy to slow down inflation without tipping us into a deep recession. We continue to be of the position that if, if we do go into a recession, it will be a mild one. And I think we're seeing all the signs of a very mild recession. And that has very good implications for companies because it's manageable. A deep recession is really difficult to manage. As you talk about that fixed versus variable cost curve, um, we think a mild recession right. companies can muddle through.
2: So on a value basis, where do you, which sectors do you find the best dynamics to surprise into, say, June or July?
0: In terms of surprise, one area we're looking at is the industrial sector. Um, I I think that when we're talking about industrials, we're not talking about as much the autos that you're talking about with Tesla. And we we are aware of what happened there yesterday uh, or this morning. We are now looking at industrial companies well-placed and they have this really good secular theme that we're focused on it's the electrification it's industry 4.0 it's the inflation reduction act those things will be structural drivers and we're just making sure that these companies have enough wherewithal through 2023 we think the order books are very very strong the backlogs are at very high levels and we think that the the variable costs are rising wages and any other type of inflation is really manageable these industrial companies are areas that we like
4: katrina where do the miners fit into this we caught up with a guest a little bit earlier this week chris verona strategas rio absolutely ripping he liked rio bhp glencore where are you guys on those names
0: um we we do own a position in Rio um, and we would just, we disclose that um, and we like the, the 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 asset quality that we have there but you're right those type of names have gone up substantially which makes the valuation case a lot harder than it was just a few months ago but as a value manager we're looking at where are they positioned in the commodity complex and we're trying to make sure that we've got that really good combination of companies that while they are dependent on commodity prices they have a lot of things that they can do internally that will drive earnings in addition to, you know, realising the benefits of the commodity cost moves both, both
4: up and down. Katrina, can you just go a little bit further there? You said it's important where they are exposed in the commodity complex. Where do you want them exposed and where do you want them not exposed?
0: Um, I I think that we we can look at something like the copper market, which people are very much structurally bullish on. We're seeing some signs that actually that's coming into balance. And what does that mean is you're likely to have some level of pressure on prices. But balance is okay. It's when we have oversupply that we need to be cautious about. So they're the type of markets that you want to avoid. And so from our perspective, we just push them to the side and we focus on those type of uh, commodities where we have the either iron ore exposure and we have copper exposure and various metals where we're very comfortable with that supply-demand dynamic. Well, Rio has that,
4: that's for sure. Katrina, thank you. Katrina Dante there, Franklin Mutual Series.
2: This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Thanks for listening. Join us live weekdays from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio and on Bloomberg Television each day from 6 to 9 a.m. for insight from the best in economics, finance, investment and international relations. And subscribe to the Surveillance Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Terminal. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg.